At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Amen. Such a great intro, by the way. I think you guys watch it every week. I only get to watch it like once or twice. So it is uh, truly a joy to be here with you all this morning. Again, my name is John Schroeder, and we together are planting a church in America's Georgia called The Well. And I want to thank you all so much for your generosity, for your kindness. I want to thank you so much for Kirk and Chelsea. Uh, they mean a lot to us as far as leadership within the cohort and also just as families. And so uh, it's truly a blessing to have you guys with us, praying for us, again, financially giving, so that we can see what God is doing also in America's Georgia. So again, thank you all so much. So I had a special guest with me this morning. Normally, I try to take one person with me. Sometimes I'll take Judah, or uh, last week or uh, two weeks ago, I took my mom uh, to one of the churches that we were preaching at um, and talking with. And this morning, I brought my little daughter, Jessa. She's about to turn eight years old. And recently, she's professed Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And so we want to thank the Lord for that. It's really awesome. Uh, Man, just watching her. And so we've been talking. Uh, Hopefully, she'll be actually one of our first baptisms in our new church uh, on a Sunday morning. And so we've been talking about this because a profession is something that we want to take seriously. And so we start to walk through that. So a lot of times, whether we're reading the Bible or just talking in general, I usually use the framework of, Uh, the gospel fluency four questions. So who is God, right? What has he done? What does that make us? And then what do we do in light of those things, right? Well, today's text in Luke chapter 14, we're gonna focus more on the last two, who we are and what we should do in light of the first two. And so I wanna make sure that we do that really well. So we're gonna do a few things. We're going to define what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We'll use the definition we're using at the Well Church. There's various definitions that you can use, so just know that. And then we're also gonna define discipleship. And then we're gonna look at the call and the cost of discipleship, because that's our text this morning, Luke 14, 25 through 35. And I'm excited to be able to walk through this with you all. Now, I'm gonna be honest. Uh, I have an eye for expensive stuff. I don't know about you, but I don't mean to. I just, when I walk into a store, like let's say I'm looking for shoes, right? The, the thing that attracts me the most, whether it's the color or the style, something that just draws me to it, right? And I see it and uh, I can look through all the other shoes. No, this is the one that I want. And then uh, as I start to enjoy it and I see its beauty and I see it's, the curiosity is just killing me. One of the questions that I have to ask is, how much does it cost? Right? We just bought a new car a few weeks ago. Uh, we've been uh, one car family for about nine months. It didn't work for us, and so we're, we're back to two cars now. But that was one of the things that we had to process, right? How much does it cost? There is that question. If we're curious enough, we're going to dive into a question like that. Because if you're not curious, you're not going to ask the question. So here's what I'd love to do is that we also have to ask that question when it comes to following Jesus. So if you look at, uh, we're just going to start in verse 25, and we're going to go to 27, and then we're going to share a little bit more, but I want to make sure we understand this context. So Luke 14, here's what we see in verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him, speaking of Jesus, 
And he turned and said to them, I'm just going to jump down to verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So here's what we see. We see large, large crowds following Jesus, right? Why are people following Jesus? Well, because this man is a miracle worker, y'all. He is going around and he is, he is healing people. He is uh, feeding thousands of people with little, right? He is walking on water. He is reviving children and adults from the dead, right? And not only that, but as he's speaking about the kingdom of God, he's also pressing against a lot of the cultural things that are going on, whether it's the, the, the Romans or the Pharisees. So people are attracted to the beauty and the truth of Jesus, right? People are coming. Listen, if that was happening today, we would want to go, right? We would want to go see it. I'm going to go check that out. I'm going to drive, figure out where this person is, and I want to see what's going on. So large crowds of people are following Jesus. In fact, that's even what we see even today, right? As we see the church moving on mission, whether it's here or in other parts of the country, people gather. People are going to be gathering today, large crowds of people gathering today to hear the message of the kingdom of God because they see God's at work. Amen? And not only that is, you know, it's already started in Scotland with some of our friends. We're on the East Coast, and every hour for the next few hours, there's going to be preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. As the sun comes up, we're going to be preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and large crowds will come to hear. Why? Because they're curious about who Jesus is. They're curious about the things that he's doing in this world. So this text is not far from us. Large crowds of people come, and then Jesus will do this. He will turn around to these large crowds, and he will begin to speak to them, not just about the kingdom of God in general, but the kingdom of God personally, right? So they're attracted to the general feeling of, I like what you say about the Pharisees. I like what you say about this. I see the things that you're doing. And then Jesus will turn around and say, okay, large crowds, you're, you're here. You're curious enough. Let me explain something to you about the kingdom of God that relates to you personally. So Jesus is going to speak about the kingdom of God here, and he's going to call curious people to covenantal faithfulness. That's what he's about to do. Curious people into covenantal faithfulness. So we're going to ask the question, what is the cost of discipleship? And the basic answer to that is, it requires Christians to be all in. This is what we're going to see in the text today. What is the cost of discipleship? It requires Christians to be all in. Now, I want us to understand, this is not about performance. He's not talking about performance here. We got to settle that in to our own hearts. This is about personal allegiance to Jesus, but he's not speaking to performance. He's actually speaking to our heart and our head, not our hands, right? Because if you're sitting in this room and you're like me and you deal with performance and maybe you're trying to figure out like, okay, this text is going to be very difficult. It's heavy. It's a heavy text. I don't want you to be thinking that he's speaking towards performance. So I want to make sure that we understand that the, that the call here is not to be perfect. He's not calling any of us to be perfect. He's not asking that. That's not the call. So for those who love Jesus and are probably going to hear from the enemy, this morning, as I begin to speak and share these things, you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I didn't do the things that I should do. And, and the things that I don't do, right, you're going to have that. The question is, is, are you all in? At a heart level, are your affections for Jesus? That is the question that he's speaking to today. It's also not a question of, are you better than the person next to you? Or the person across the aisle from you? Or the person that you work with at your job? That's not what he's speaking of here. 
He's not speaking to, are you better than? He's not speaking to, did you check all the right religious boxes this week? It's not what the text is talking about. This isn't a call to be a morally good or superior person. It's not what it's about. Here's the question. It's about loyalty and devotion to Jesus. Are you with Jesus? So what does it mean to be all in? We probably need to ask that question. Okay, all in. What does that mean? How do I know if I am all in? Well, we're going to look at the verses that Jesus gives us to define what it means to be all in. So let's read really quickly verses 25 through 27 again. Again, now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So let's go ahead and define what a disciple is. I think that would be helpful. Now, in Jesus's day, um, disciples were uh, people that would follow a rabbi or a teacher or a master, right? So these people, they were called like the Talmudin um, or the Talmud. Uh, it means disciple, it means a student. It means someone who's in being instructed by a teacher. And listen, they were so close to their teacher, their master, their rabbi, that they would actually be covered by the dust of their rabbi as they were walking. So the, the, the rabbi would be walking and they would be so close to him. They would, they, would, they would literally get the dust of their rabbi. And what were they paying attention to? They were paying attention to the way that he walked, the way that he talked, what he would say, how he would say it. And they would literally begin to even mimic that. Why? Because they wanted to be like their master. So there was even at times where a rabbi would have a limp physically because they had a problem and their students would begin to develop a limp. Like they would just start limping. Why? Because they followed their master. So for Jesus, a disciple is someone that's very specific. They know exactly what he's referring to. They're not thrown off by this. This is what a disciple is. And it's good to note that a disciple of Jesus is also a Christian, that there's no separation here, that in Acts, it tells us, Acts 11, that it says that the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch, right? So it's synonymous. A Christian was actually a, a negative term given by others because they were like, you are, you are like a little Christ. They were kind of trying to make fun of them, okay? So disciples are Christians and Christians are disciples. And so Um, One of the things that they would get, again, they would do, they would walk like him, they would talk like him, and they would say and do the things that he would do. So for us, this is what we use at our church right now, as a disciple of Jesus is one who walks with God and others, welcoming those far from him. That is our definition of disciple, and we'll use that this morning. Found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus says, come, follow me, Now, again, we see that as individuals, and we read that as, oh, you. No, no, no. He's talking to a group of people at one time. You all, right? Come on. Y'all. Y'all follow me, and I will make you. Who does the work? Jesus. I will make you fishers of men. You're going to bring others in, right? So that form of disciple and discipleship has to do with community, right? Those people who worked on boats with fish, they didn't fish with poles, y'all. We fish with poles, they fish with nets. It was a community effort, grabbing the net and pulling it in together, right? So a disciple walks with God and others, welcoming those far from him. So what is discipleship? This is the term that we use. It is the process of surrendering all of life to the presence and the lordship of Jesus. 
That is what discipleship is. The process of surrendering all of life to the presence and the lordship of Jesus. So the cost of discipleship is not merely curiosity, but it is covenantal faithfulness. We could say it this way. The cost is not an impulse decision, but a deliberate daily devotion and allegiance to Christ above all. That's what it is. That's what it means. That's what the cost is. It's not just an impulse decision that we had at one point, but a deliberate daily devotion and affection and allegiance to Christ above all things. The great thing is, is that we don't have to put on us what, what it produces. God is not requiring us to produce the fruit of discipleship, right? We don't have to white knuckle it. We don't have to say like, I should be more patient, so I'm gonna really work on my patience, right? White knuckling the fruit of discipleship. That is the Holy Spirit. We see that in Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's not us. It doesn't say the fruit of the flesh. It says the fruit of the Spirit. What are we supposed to be doing? Being faithful to discipleship as he produces something in us that we cannot produce on our own. So again, salvation in Jesus is not merely a transaction. It's at the heart, a covenantal relationship that we have with one another. And listen, we already know this, right? No relationship lasts without loyal commitments and actions. Because the one who redeems us calls us into costly discipleship, Jesus commands to follow me is both a gift and it's a call. It's a gift to be given to us and a call. And so I need to process this because I hear about the good things of God. I hear about heaven. I hear about the things that are coming to us from God, his glorious gifts, right? The gift of salvation and the gift of eternity with him. But also I can find myself just focusing on that and not realizing that Jesus is turning to me and saying, hey, do you want to be all in? Do you want to just be curious or do you want to be covenantal with me? And that is what he is calling us into in this particular text. So let's again, let's look at it. Verse, um, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So let's clarify, hate here is not what we would think hate is. Okay, Jesus is speaking in, in terms and uh, languages that rabbis used to use all the time. So they know that he's not speaking of like hate, as in hate speech or being evil or, or hating someone like that. He's actually using the term that would refer to loving less, okay? So that he, what he's saying is, is that you would love me so much that, you, that every other relationship, it would look like you loved it less. We see this in the Old Testament, right? Where it says that, that God uh, hated Esau, but he loved Jacob. It doesn't mean hate like we think. It just means that God favored and chose Jacob over Esau. That's all that it means, and they knew that. So these, this terminology is not new to them. It's new maybe to us, but that idea of hate is not the same. So we also see that with Jacob, that he, that he loved Rachel, but he hated, right? He loved less, right? Leah. So for them, it's not confusing. Oh, it's like, oh, you're talking about allegiance. You're talking about loyalty. You're talking about affections, and so that is what he's referring to. Devotion to what? Devotion to Christ above two things, right? What are we supposed to be devoted uh, above um, these two things? Above relationship, 
which talks about family here, and above ourselves. So again, family, we see here that family for Jewish people is very important, right? You would have a name and it would be like the son of Jonah. You see how it refers to this idea of like, who are your parents? Who, where do you come from? What is your traditions? What is your background? What is your family history? Those things matter to Jewish people, right? They were dealing with this deep and they were like, listen, my expectations for my family are really important, right? If, if my family tells me to go and do this and be this, that's what I'm gonna do. And Jesus is like, I want you to love me and be more loyal to me than your family than what your family expects of you. I want you to love me more than you would love your family. Why? Because I'm going to call you into things that, you, that your family may disagree with or struggle with and say, wait, why? Why would you do that, right? Your family, not just your biological family, like your mom and your dad, but also the family that you're creating, right? The expectations that you may have on your own self and your family, right? This phrase indicates that giving up self-interest as well and competing loyalties are central to discipleship. That's what he is, he is referring to. So not only are we supposed to not look to our families as a means for ultimate loyalty and affection more than Jesus, he doesn't say don't love your family. He says just don't love your family more than what I'm calling you into. But he also says don't love yourself. So think about it this way. You may come up from a background that you didn't even know your family, so that doesn't mean anything to you. Or maybe you had a really difficult relationship with your family growing up, so that doesn't mean anything to you. Well, no one's getting off the hook here. Not only are we supposed to not love our families above Christ, but not even ourselves, our own expectations, what we want and when we want it, right? We can't even do that, right? So I can't look at Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, I I'm here, I'm curious, I wanna follow you, but if you call me to do something that I don't want to do, I'm out, right? That I actually love what I want to do more than you and what you're calling me into, right? So he is not giving us any relationship that we can tie that would be stronger than the relationship and the affection that we have for him. Now, I think it's really important here that we understand that Jesus does not recruit anyone under false pretenses. You didn't know that. Like, it's not just the, 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 the beauty of Jesus, but it's also the, the devotion to Jesus that's important. One of the things that I struggled with growing up and like understanding, because I got like baptized like four times, five times. I'm serious. I just, I just couldn't connect. Yeah. Couldn't get was, I love the fact that Jesus was my savior, but I did not connect him to be my Lord. Right? So, Man, I loved what could happen in the future. I loved the fact that he loved me, but I didn't understand that I needed to submit all of my life to him. That affection should be so great. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I make all the right decisions, but my, my affections above all are for him. Like I love him. And when I sin, like I feel like I've distanced myself from him because I love him so much. Why would I do that to my God? The one who loves me, the one who's given me affections. You know, this reminds me of a, of the Matrix scene, right? The very first Matrix, right? Where uh, Neo sits down with Morpheus, right? And he gives them this, these, these two options, this red pill and this blue pill. And he says, listen, Neo, you could take this blue pill and you're gonna wake up and you're gonna be in your own bed. And you're gonna go back to work like you always have, right? 
Everything will be like it, like it, like it normally is. But if you take this red pill, your whole life is going to change. And you're going to see reality for what it really is. No longer are you going to be in this smoke screen anymore, but you're going to be brought into something that is actually more real than what you're experiencing right now. But you got to be all in, right? So we see what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not saying, hey, come to me, and I'm going to give you a blue pill so that when you wake up tomorrow, you're, everything's going to be the same. You're just going to go back to work. You're just going to keep doing the things that you're doing. That's not what Jesus offers. Jesus is not offering a blue pill. He's offering us a red pill. Why? Because it changes us from the inside out as we receive it. Hey, look, I'm all in. I want it to be more real than what I'm even experiencing right now. And here's the thing. When you, when you experience that, when you know that Christ has spoken to you, you'll want to follow him. I think there's sometimes we're just like, man, I'm just gonna have to dog it out. You know, whatever Jesus says, I'm just gonna hate it. Like, what? No, this is, this is Jesus. Like, he's offering us something that's better than what we have. It's greater than what we have. So it's not like, man, all right, well, Jesus, whatever you say, I guess I'm gonna try to love you as much as I can. And, you know, no, there is something that's gonna birth. In so again, I, we're gonna wanna follow him. Not because we have to, but because we actually want to. What Jesus is offering here is something that we should want why? Because God's way is actually better, and he wants us to wake us up to those things. So not only that, but we also, he's requiring us in verse 27, again, to pick up our own cross. It says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, he uses this term because they understand it. They know what crucifixion is. It's long, excruciating death, all right? When you see someone carrying a cross, you knew they were going to be on that thing for a really long time, and they were going to suffer. And Jesus is like, hey, if anyone would come after me, does anybody want this? You're going to have to suffer little deaths every day. Long, excruciating deaths every day. Why? Because he's calling us to carry our cross, right? That doesn't sound good right? No one's like, oh yeah, sign me up for that. But this is what Jesus is calling us into. Why? Because what Jesus is calling us into is to be less like us and more like Jesus. And we got to get out of the way. My favorite verse is Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? So this is what Jesus is calling us into, to carry our own cross, to take little deaths. You wonder why it's so hard. You wonder why it's such a struggle. Like, I've prayed about this sin. I've prayed about this struggle. I've prayed about this, and it just keeps showing up. You know why? Because it's long and it's excruciating pain to follow Jesus. You'll feel it. I've been praying about this for years. Well, you're carrying your cross. You feel the suffering. You feel the weight of that. That's normal. I've been praying for a lot of things all my life. I was like, I want all this stuff to be done. I want it to be over. And yet Jesus is letting me know, hey, listen. Ultimately, again, what he saves us from is the eternal suffering, right? Like Jesus is not saying carry your cross so that you'll be saved. He's saying if, 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 if I am in you and you are in me, I'm carrying that. What I want you to be is all in. Again, He's not asking us to perform. He's just asking us for our affections. He's asking us for our loyalty. 
Now, again, he gives us a spectrum here about a building and waging a war. So we're going to look at that really quick. So it says, for verse 28, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Again, this is Jesus speaking of discipleship. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out, of the, uh, going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate, de- deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if he is not, while, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends out a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So Jesus uses these two stories, these two illustrations, to understand the necessity of, the, of counting the cost of discipleship. Jesus extols a commitment to finishing, um, to finishing the discipleship journey once begun or not beginning at all. Like he's just being honest. He's saying, look, I'm going to turn around. You're curious. I want to give you this understanding of covenantal faithfulness. Not that you're going to be perfect. Not that I'm asking you to perform, but is your affections for me above all? That's what he's calling us into. So Jesus is saying, wait, before before you decide, before you get into this war, because it is a war, right? There's two kingdoms at play that's going on around us right now. Again, you take that red pill, you realize, all right, there's some stuff that's going on. You know, John, do you believe in 2023 that there are demonic forces? Apps 100%. I'm all in. I, I believe it, right? So we say sometimes, uh, new levels, new devils, amen? All right, so we're in. This is what we're dealing with. We, we are in two kingdoms, and we were created worshiping, and we were created to worship. We were not created to be worshiped. And we gotta understand that, because if we don't give our allegiance to Jesus, we think that we sit on the throne, but you don't. The enemy sits on the throne, and you're serving him. Like you think that you're sitting on the throne. That's what Adam and Eve thought they were going to do. No, no, they just gave it away. So what Jesus is calling us into is, listen, there's two kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of this world. And I am inviting you in. I'm letting you know what the cost is. And so he says, just wait, just consider this. Your curiosity is here. I'm glad that you're here. But now let's look at the price tag, right? I want, us to, I want to read you an, 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 a section of a book that I'm actually reading Jessa right now. It's a really great book. Everyone pretty, pretty much know it. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the best books of all time, right? We're actually, we've read like the more uh, modern version, and now we're doing like a little kid's version for her. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I cry all the time when I read it. Uh, but there's a particular uh, moment where the main uh, character, Christian, is about to start the journey. He's about to leave the city of destruction. And evangelist tells him, hey, you need to go to the wicked gate. You need to go to the cross. And then you're going to go to the celestial city. So he hears about this. He feels this burden on his back, which we understand is sin. That's causing him this burden. And he wants to go on this journey. He wants to take this journey. And along the way, at the very beginning, he meets a man called Pliable. And so he begins to tell Pliable what, he, what the evangelist told him. And Pliable begins to get excited. So this is a part from, this is an insert from there. Pliable says, that sounds like a worthy goal indeed. Can I, accompany, can I accompany you on this journey? I also desire to be rid of this heavy burden and obtain eternal life. Christian says, of course, you are welcome to join me. I am grateful for the company, but let me warn you, the way ahead is not easy. 
we will face challenges and hardships. Pliable says, I understand, and I am willing to face them. If the end is as glory and pliable set out, then I will gladly endure whatever comes our way. And so Christian and Pliable set out together. They walked side by side, sharing stories and encouragements. However, their journey led them to a place called the place called the, uh, the um, Sloth of Despond. The ground was marshy and treacherous, and Christian noticed that Pliable began to grow uneasy. So Pliable says to Christian, Christian, this path is dreadful. The ground is so soft, and I'm sinking. I didn't sign up for this kind of difficulty. Christian said, yes, Pliable. This is what I spoke of. It is the place of despair and doubt, but we must press on. The way ahead will become firmer again. Pliable says, I can't bear it any longer. This burden is too much, and the journey is too hard. I think I will turn back. Christian says, but Pliable, we have come so far already. The celestial city is just ahead, and the difficulties will soon be behind us. Don't let this place discourage you. And Pliable says, no, I can't go on. I'm going back home to the city of destruction. This journey is not for me. Farewell. You see, in this passage in Luke, Jesus calls people to a kind of discipleship that is not cheap. Bonhoeffer wrote a book on discipleship, and he makes sure that we don't fall into this cheap grace mentality where everything is as it was, and we just come to Jesus and take the blue pill, and we go back home, and we continue to live life as if nothing happened. Jesus doesn't want us to be uh, to, to fall into that. So this passage, this passage speaks to the importance of loyalty and allegiance to Jesus over all other competing loyalties, including family, self-interest, and also possessions. We see that in verse 33, where it says, uh, verse, we'll start in verse 32. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, in those illustrations, so therefore any of you who does not renounce all that he has, just not be my disciple. He's not saying that we should not love other things, just not above Jesus. That's what he's calling us into. Are we all in? And so what is our foundation built on, right? He's talking about building a house and raging, waging a war. The foundation is clear, the work of Jesus, y'all, not on us. We got to make that very, very clear. The foundation is not your work. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 6, when he's speaking about the work of God, he says it very clearly, the work of God is to believe in the Son of God, right? So our greatest work is actually faith, that, that we say, I believe that Jesus is everything that he says that he is for me and for my salvation. And so he ends by using this analogy of salt in verse 34 through 35. And he says, salt is good, but a salt has lost its taste. How shall it be salty? Saltiness be restored. It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He, again, speak, Jesus is speaking. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What Jesus is claiming is that to be a follower of Jesus and not following him wholly is an empty claim. That's why he uses salt. Here's what he's saying is that it means nothing because salt is supposed to be salty. And so if it looks like salt, but it doesn't taste like salt, it ain't salt. That's what he's saying. If it looks like salt, but doesn't taste like salt, if it doesn't function like salt, if it doesn't preserve like salt, then it's not salt. There's no use for it. 
So the, the purpose then is to only place it where it goes into the trash heap. That's what he says. Again, Jesus is not giving us a way to heaven. He's giving us a better way of life with the giver of life whose destination is heaven with us. Does it make sense? Right? Listen, even in that story of pliable, even the celestial city was not enough for him. These promises, these good, he needed to be devoted. Right? I look towards the future. Gee, things get really, really hard. I'm not saying like I don't think about heaven and think about the things that are coming and go, yes, Lord, please, Jesus, come. Right? That's true. But where's our foundation? Even when it begins to slip a little bit, even when we begin to go down, do we see that Christian fought through it and he was on the other side, he kept going. So even in my evangelism, when I'm sharing the good news of Jesus, right, the gospel, which is the whole book of the Bible, is the gospel story, right? Um, I've broken it down to even to, to these C's, right? Because I, I like, you know, making it very simple for me. So when I'm sharing my faith or when I'm talking about beautiful and perfect and true, and then because of the fall, there was a curse, right? There was a curse that was laid upon man that they could, he could not pay on his own. And so what happens? Christ comes, to take the curse for us. We see that. But then Christ gives us the cost of what it would be to follow him. And we wait for the consummation, right? Sounds pretty good, right? I like that, that terminology. So creation, curse, Christ, cost, consummation. And so when I share the good news of Jesus and I let people know, hey, listen, I want you to to know who Jesus is. I want you to follow him. I'm not asking you to be perfect today. I'm not asking you to fix yourself tomorrow. I'm asking, are you all in? Are you all in? That's all I'm asking, right? That is what Christ is calling us into, that we would take curiosity and that we would be in a covenantal relationship with him. Ask, so the question that I have to ask myself after I read that is, have I considered the cost of discipleship? That's what it's asking of me. Jesus is saying, listen, I know that you're following me. I know that you've been following me for a while. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because of that. Maybe there's an experience that you had. I just want to make sure. So he turns around with loving eyes and he says something very, very hard. And he gives us the cost of discipleship. So I have to consider it. Tim will say a lot. Tim Bice will say this a lot. He will say, our greatest need is to hear from God. And I, I, that, that's all me. I'm like, I'm tied in. I'm like, all right, what are you going to say next, right? Our greatest need is to hear from God. And then he'll ask the question, what was the last thing that you heard God say? And this is where I want to, to help us end and apply this text. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus is saying right now in this moment with us, what was the last thing that I told you to do? What was the last thing? Because in that moment, we have to settle and go, do I believe that God, that I have more affection for what Jesus said and my relationship with Jesus or other affections? Now, maybe this was 20 years ago. You're like, man, I don't hear from God. I don't know what you're talking about. I remember coming down to the aisle maybe 20 years ago, but I haven't heard anything here. And you see the cross, but you haven't fully committed to covenantal faithfulness. I'm telling you, it's not going to be your religious works. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be your moral goods. It's not going to be enough. That's, what, that's not what's happening. It's not your performance. Jesus is saying, hey, if the last thing that you heard was come to me and you haven't heard anything else, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be devoted to me right now. Be all in right now. That's a huge call. That is the call of salvation that you might have heard two weeks ago, two years ago, 20 years ago. 
whatever it is, that's the last thing you heard Jesus say, it may be because you're still right there. And you're looking at the cross, but you're not in the kingdom. And you need to be all in. Don't go home and fix your life. Just be all in. He'll fix it. Are you all in? Not only is that, but maybe it's been the last two or three weeks. Maybe you've heard from the Lord about something that's very specific to you. I want to let you know that God's calling you to follow that. You know, it's, it's, um, if Jesus is our, our teacher and our rabbi and our master, and if he's walking and he's going somewhere, and all of a sudden we're just like, hey, I'm just going to kind of detour and wander off over here. The last thing that Jesus told you to do is where you need to go back to. Why? Because that's where he is, and that allows you to keep going forward, being faithful to him. So again, what is the last thing that Jesus told you to do? Because that's where he is. It's where he is. I can't hear him. Because maybe it's the last thing that he said to do. You've wandered off from that, and he's going to sit right there. He's going to be right there. Why? Because he's going this direction. And he he will call you. If you're a believer in him, he will call you. But I'm telling you, he is waiting for you to follow him. Why? Because your allegiance to him should be more than allegiance to yourself, to others, and even your possessions. Whatever it is, whatever it's causing you to distract you, whether it's your possessions, the people that you love, or even your own personal individualism, he's calling you out of all of that because he wants you to be all in. So what is the last thing that Jesus told you to do? Whatever it is, I pray that you would surrender to that and say, I'm all in. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. That again, that you have invited us into this beautiful and wonderful kingdom. But you don't recruit under false pretenses. Lord, that what you're actually giving us, Lord, when we see it, when we take it, Lord, when we awaken to the reality, that it's actually good for us, that we actually enjoy it. It's not something that we have to white knuckle. This is something that we love and we will grow to love. The fact that you love us more than anything, we have received that. And so even though this text, Lord, it makes us feel like it's performance, it's not. It's about personal allegiance. It's actually about affections. It's about, a, it's about our heart and our, and our head, not our hands. So I pray, Lord, that you would release us from that if we're struggling with that. But Lord, if we have not considered this, Lord, and we just continue to wake up every day and say, I've heard Jesus, but I'm just going to continue to wake up every day as if I took this blue pill and nothing's changed. I pray that that would, Lord, that you would work in them and let them know, Lord, that what you want for them is more real than what they're experiencing right now. I pray you would free them from that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.